Thank you, ladies. We are blessed to have the Lord and to have each other. Well, uh, the youth um, chaperones are at the beach and Daniel and I are uh, batching it, as they say. It's not a safe pair, probably, to uh, leave together. And uh, who knows what we'll eat. But we will survive through Tuesday. And Daniel's all, he's already tried to micromanage my life. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I'm, I'm grateful. Sounds like um, everybody's safe and fine down there at the beach. So grateful for that, that um, they're able to be there. This morning, uh, we're in First Thessalonians chapter 2, as we've uh, been doing a verse-by-verse study on dynamic ministry. I'm going to ask you when you find that, uh, we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses of the second chapter this morning as we have concluded chapter 1 and a couple of messages. And I'm going to ask when you find First Thessalonians 2 to stand in God's honor as I want to read aloud chapter, those first 12 verses. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you His gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impulse, impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each other as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into His kingdom and His glory. Let's pray. Master, we are grateful to be here today, God. We are gathered as one body with one purpose. And that is to worship you, to give our hearts and our attention fully to you, O Lord. Uh, Father, I ask um, that there might be a flow to this message. Help my mind not to wander, but that I might be able to think clearly, Lord. And to be able to speak clearly. And so, Father, I I pray uh, that there be a flow. I also pray, Father, there be a, a freedom. Oh, Father, that uh, I might be able to speak freely and just have a sense of your presence as I speak. 
And I pray lastly, Father, that there might be a fire. That, Father, your spirit might burn among us and touch our lives. That we might hear your message and that we might step out in obedience to your call. Lord, uh, I can't, but you certainly can. And so we plead with the Holy Spirit to cover this time and to speak. Uh, Lord, we need you, we love you, and we look forward to hearing from you. So have your way, O oh God. In your name we pray, amen. If chapter 1 dealt with a dynamic church, and uh, certainly there's a dynamic church that we've looked at the past couple of weeks, chapter 2 deals with the dynamic church leadership. And guys, we live in an age where there is a lot of publicity and teaching on leadership. Everyone wants to be a strong leader. But there's no such thing as a perfect leader who totally has it all together. That's why we have to follow the greatest leader of all. Jesus Christ as He guides and as He leads us. I want to read to you a piece someone had written about a group of resumes they got that they looked over, over potential pastors, church leaders to come into churches. And someone had written, um, what would it be like if we took these biblical characters as possible candidates for that position in a church? And I, I want to read to you... Uh, some of the reasons why these guys failed to meet qualifications. Noah, even though he's preached for 120 years, he has no converts. And besides, as you look in Genesis 9.21, that book of beginnings, it looks like he's prone to have a problem with alcohol. Abraham, eh, we find it odd he's got two names. Abram, Abraham. Is he using an alias? If uh, so, Why? Uh, is he trying to trick us? And not only that, he has trouble being head of his own household. We've heard it said that when he tries to be an authority, his wife laughs about it. And then there's Moses. We were impressed with Moses except for two severe problems. He's been known to lose his temper once in a while. Furthermore, while he seems to have the necessary perseverance for preaching, his stuttering and stammering would defy all speech therapy. Then there's David. So far as David is concerned, he seems rather talented in writing music and poetry, but we don't know if he can preach. Worse yet, he's had a few moral lapses. We could not have him as pastor, but perhaps at a later date when the church can afford it, he could be considered for a position as minister of music. Solomon, like David, he spends too much time, too much of his time writing, and besides, he has such a lavish lifestyle and so many dependents that our church could not pay him enough salary. Elijah, regarding Elijah, no one can doubt he's a powerful preacher. Nevertheless, is the sarcasm he sometimes employs necessary in this day and age? Sarcasm. Also, we cannot overlook the fact that he has a tendency towards self-pity. Isaiah, now there's a person who's well thought of, but there seems to be a serious PR problem. Can you imagine a preacher who, upon meeting God, instead of addressing Him politely, says, Woe is me! If Isaiah greeted everybody in the church that way, no one would come. Woe is me. Jeremiah, we need an upbeat preacher for our church. One who can make people happy. We feel that Jeremiah is depressed too much of the time. Matthew, his background's finance, not religion. He would probably preach like an accountant. <laughs> and we'd get too many sermons on stewardship. Luke, 
Again, his background's not in religion. He was a physician. It seems strange he would leave such a lucrative profession unless something unsavory has occurred. John the Baptist, he's certainly a good preacher. He's got good results, but he dresses strange. Worse than this, his lack of pulpit decorum, he eats strange. What if we brought a honey-dipped insect casserole to one of our covered dish suppers? And then there's Peter. Peter seems to show leadership, but the last thing we need is a preacher who carries a sword around. Is likely to take off and go fishing at the drop of a hat. Alright, some of you guys. And, and smells like fish most of the time. We, we cannot have him as pastor, but maybe we could undertake his partial support as a part-time missionary to a seafarer. And then there's Paul. He's reputed to be a great preacher. But he's very moving. Uh, that means he's always moving around. He doesn't stay anywhere too long. He probably wouldn't stay with us very long. Yeah, that's some cute characterizations. As you look at all these people that God so greatly used, they all had weaknesses. And sometimes when we think about this idea of leadership, we think, well, that's only for the certain kinds of people. And I'm not that kind of person. I'm not that qualified. I'm not that gifted. I don't have it together enough to be a leader. But guys, listen to me. Being a leader is more than a qualification. It's more than a certain type of giftedness. It's, it's, it's more than your background. It's, it's more than what you've accomplished. Being a leader is simply this. Being a leader means that you're going to do something. Being a leader means you're ready to lead the way. In other words, when God speaks to you, you say, okay, God, I'll do my best. I'll step out and do it. That's what it means to be a leader. Um, I read uh, uh, S.I. McMillan. He, he had written this book entitled None of These Diseases. And in the book, there's a story of a young woman who was filling out a college application and she was really excited about going to college until she got to this question that said, are you a leader? And she didn't want to lie about it. And so she struggled with it. And she thought, I'm not a leader. And so she wrote, "Uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm not a leader. And she sent off the application and she thought, I'll never be accepted to that college. But to her surprise, she received an acceptance letter. And here's what was written to her. I thought this was great. Dear Applicant, A study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. Sometimes we all follow, but sometimes we all step out and lead. Sometimes in order to obey God, we have to go against the grain. Sometimes we have to do what's not popular in the crowd, what's not popular in the group, or what's not easy, but it's leading. And God is looking for servant leaders. As He looks out through His church, guys, He calls us all to be servant leaders. No one is exempt. There's not just a handful of leaders among us. It's not limited to any one type of person. But at some point, God calls each and every one of us to lead. Now, I want to look because in his description here, he begins by describing what should not be part of a dynamic leader. Then he talks about what is part of a dynamic leader. We want to begin by looking at what does not constitute 
a dynamic leader. First thing here is that a leader should not be a deceiver. As you look in chapter 2, he, Paul begins by talking about his previous visit, that it was not a failure. And then he talks about his previous suffering, how he went through insult in Philippi. And while he has been away from the church body, while he has been away from Philippi and Thessalonica and been away from that area, his name has been maligned. There has been gossip. There have been those who have made it a full-time job seeking to discredit the Apostle Paul. He's been under attack and he wants to speak about those who have been attacking him. And he wants to give word to his credibility, which gives us insight into strong leadership. And the first thing he says is, guys, a leader is not out to deceive you, to trick you. In verse 3 we read, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. You see, there were guys out in the early church that were just looking to make a buck. They were more than willing to come to a church and speak and to teach and to do a, you know one of those early church seminars. But what they were really after was just money. And if you go back to one of the oldest books, the Didache, which describes, gives guidelines uh, in the early church, it, it talks about be careful about those who come in and try to take advantage of the church. Matter of fact, one line in there says if he wants to stay more than two days, beware. He's trying to soak you dry. Now that's Todd's translation. That's not early church words. But he's, he's trying to, he's trying to take your money. He's trying to take advantage of you. Uh, there's another line in there I thought was interesting. It talks about be careful of the itinerant preacher that comes in there and says, what are we going to have to eat? Are you going to pull out the best food? Because God's people needs the best food. God's man requires a hearty meal. Pull out the prime rib. And guys, so when they start screaming for the best of food, it says in the dedicate, hey, watch out for them. Watch out that they're trying to take advantage of you, trying to deceive you, trying to trick you. When the deacon uh, who came across as... Uh, almost too self-confident, I'll put it that way, was speaking to a bunch of kids, and he was trying to communicate to them the importance of daily living for Jesus Christ. He was trying to communicate to them the importance of living for God. And so he looks at the kids and he says to them, he says, for example, he says, why do people call me a Christian? There was a pause, and then one of the youngsters says, Maybe it's because they don't know you. You see, God, He doesn't look merely at the outward appearance. He doesn't look just at the eloquence. He looks at the heart. He wants to know in a church leader, what's the heart like? Is the person genuine? Is the person real? Is the person have another agenda? Why? Why are they there? What, what, what's the real reason? What's the heart? Uh, secondly, he should not be a people pleaser. Look at verse 4. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests 
our hearts. We are not looking for praise from men or anyone else. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask so to cover up greed. God is our witness. He talks about flattery there. He said, hey guys, we never used flattery. You see, one mark of a people pleaser is that they're really good at telling people what, what they think the people want to hear. Trying to gain your following, trying to, trying to, trying to please you, trying to make you like Him. And Paul says, I don't want to be guilty of that. It's not that I don't want you to like me, it's just that I have a higher calling than for you to like me. I want to make sure that God's pleased with me. That what I do is more than just flattery. More than just trying to, to find a following of people. And butter them up for my purposes and my manipulation. You know, there's a, someone said the difference between motivation and manipulation is this. Manipulation is for me. Motivation is for you. Paul, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10... Um, said this, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul knew that he he had to give a message straight and be true to the Scriptures. He says, I can't just merely be a people pleaser. I want to please God. I couldn't help but think of Hebrews 4 verse 12 that says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And the word picture there, guys, is not of a big sword, but of a small sword. And the guy's neck is back like this, and the sword is right to his throat. So what's it saying? It says, where God just gets a hold of you, gets you by the throat, and says, this is what you really look like. What are you going to do about it? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's when the Word of God becomes alive. And Paul says, that's the way I want to preach. Not just to gain your affection and your attention, but to please God so that you hear the truth. So that your lives can be impacted and can be changed. And that God can use you and flow through you and work in your life. That's That's what he longed for. Uh, the more I read about Charles Spurgeon, the more I love about Spurgeon. And uh, one time Spurgeon was preaching, man, he was letting it loose. And afterward, a guy said, I can't believe you. I can't believe you're preaching like that. He said, Pastor, he said, you, you rubbed the fur on the cat the wrong way. Spurgeon looked at him and said, well, then turn the cat around. Sometimes, guys, we just need to turn around and go God's direction. We're not headed that way. Here's a quote um, from Philip Brooks, who was a a well-known preacher from another generation. He's talking to a group of preachers, and he, he says, Courage is the indispensable requisite of any true ministry. If you're afraid of men and a slave to their opinions, then go do something else. Go and make shoes to fit them. Go and even paint pictures that you know are bad, but which will suit their bad taste. Do not keep all your life preaching sermons which will not say what God sent you to to declare, but what they hired you to say. Be courageous 
and independent. Be more than just a people pleaser. Third, that does not mark a church leader. A church leader is to be more than just a dictator. Verse 6, We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. There are some leaders out there that become disillusioned and begin to think that they are more important than they really are. The truth of the matter is, guys, God's kingdom will go on without me. But this is more sobering. God's kingdom will go on without you too. He doesn't have to have any of us. But by His mercy and His grace, He allows us to be a part of it. Be careful. Be weary. Be wary of the leader who has to always have the attention. Who always has to be in the spotlight and it's my way or the highway. Or, or I'm the only one that... You know, I hate it when your preacher's constantly saying, Thus saith the Lord. Like, he's, you know, he's the only one saying the Lord's message. God calls, God sets apart, but He doesn't have to use any of us. And we need to be open and we can learn from one another and we can, we can grow. And yes, God has, has, has entrusted me, He's called me to, to be a leader here, but it doesn't mean that you guys don't have something wonderful to contribute. We need to work together for His cause. We, we, we need to be connected in Jesus Christ and, and, and we need to listen to each other, love each other and go forward with the mission of the gospel. Uh, you probably heard this story, but it's a story of a, a, of a battleship and uh, their technology wasn't working. They're in this dense fog. And they're headed toward this light, which the captain thought was another ship. And as he's headed this way, he sends out a message. He says, this is Captain Jeremiah Smith. Please alter your course 10 degrees south. Because all he can see is that light shining toward the ship. And then, he, uh, to his amazement, he heard a voice back on the radio that said, Captain Smith. This is Private Thomas Johnson. Please alter your course 10 degrees north. He couldn't believe the audacity of a private addressing him in that way. Private Johnson, this is Captain Smith, and I, and I order you to immediately alter your course 10 degrees south. Over. Second time the oncoming light did not budge. With all due respect, Captain Smith, came the private's voice, I order you to alter your course immediately 10 degrees north. Over. Angered and frustrated that this sailor would endanger the lives of his men and crew, the captain growled back over the radio, Private Johnson, I can have you court-martialed for this. For the last time, I command you on the authority of the United States government to alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. The private's final transmission was chilling. Captain Smith, sir, once again, with all due respect, I command you to alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. Sometimes just being an authoritarian is not enough. Sometimes the leader doesn't have all the answers. Sometimes leaders got to be humble enough to ask for help. To ask for help. Because crashes can come. In James 3.1, it says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Um, 
So yes, there there is a sense of a higher accountability for that church leader that has been set aside. There is truth to that. And, and that brings us to the next part as we come near the end of this message. Excuse me. A new leader is faithful to speak the truth. Turn me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Read a couple of verses uh, here where Paul gives this charge to uh, his young apprentice Timothy. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you, keep your head in all situations and your hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. God says, be faithful to my truth. To my word. And guys, that's not just the preacher. It's all of us. We're into an age of my opinion. Well, my opinion's fine, but it doesn't hold a candle to God's truth. If my opinion conflicts with God's truth, guess who's wrong? My opinion's wrong. Paul says the leader of God must be willing to stand on God's truth. Must be willing to boldly live and declare that truth. In Ezekiel 34, God says this uh, uh, through His prophet, The word of the Lord came to me, that's Ezekiel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals. But do you take care of the flock? In the book of Hosea, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, God speaks... My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. God forgive us for when God's people preach and teach and they're not willing to get into the truth of the Word. They're not willing to dig deep, but just want to give some superficial, feel-good statements instead of dealing with the deep truth of the Word of God. There's no substitute, there's no replacement for this, for His Word to us. And we need to be serious about it. We we need to let God transform us through its power and its work. As I said earlier, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates, even if I'm in your heart. Gets a hold of us, guys. It does that kind of work. And, you know, we need to have true spiritually nutritious meals instead of junk food. Now to loosen up a little bit of excitement, I found this. 
I don't have my watch today, so I have no idea what time it is. Of course, it's time to quit. I always do that, don't I? Anyway, I want to share with you, this is based on the 23rd Psalm. This is called the 23rd Pound. Maybe you guys have heard this, I don't know. But as I got into this need of nutrition, made me think about this. No, He says, my appetite is my shepherd. I always want. It maketh me sit down and stuff myself. It leadeth me to my refrigerator repeatedly. It leadeth me in the path of Burger King for a whopper. It destroyeth my shape. Yea, though I knoweth I gaineth, I will not stop eating, for the food tasteth so good. The ice cream and the cookies, they comfort me. When the table is spread before me, it exciteth me. For I knoweth that I sooneth shall dig in, as I filleth my plate continuously. My clothes runneth smaller. Surely bulges and pudges shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall be pleasingly plump forever. You know, but we're not just talking about food for the body. There's also food for the spirit. You know, I, I read this week, uh, one preacher was talking about a seminary professor of his, of his that said, said uh, guys, if you're in a church of a hundred people and you're speaking to a hundred people and you're not prepared, you've just wasted a hundred hours. Think about that. God, help us not waste our lives for God. Give us that passion, God. Then secondly, uh, he should be like a faithful parent. Look at uh, verses 7 through 9 of 1 Thessalonians 2 as we draw close to an end here. We were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because... You had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to be a bur- not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Paul uses this uh, word picture of a mom with a, a small child. As a matter of fact, the Greek word speaks of a mom who's nursing. You know, when a, when a nursing baby's hungry, the mom says, Hey, shut up and quit your crying. You just need to grow up. Moms don't do that, do they? They hold the child near so the child can feed. You know... It, a mother's love is so amazing because, let's face it, guys, a mom's willing to be put in a prison of sorts. She loses her freedom as she takes care of that little one. Suddenly, her time and her energy and her strength is focused on that little life. And only mothers can kind of get that. And Paul, as he uses that description... He says there, there is a love and there is a bond that occurs among the leaders of God's people where, where there's a concern for the body of Christ. Man, I care about your dilemma. I care about your plight. You matter to me because you're family. You're, you're part of me. And I'm part of you. And we're, we're connected. And, and Paul, Paul's making that point. And, and, and you know, guys, um, people need a lot of affirmation. 
Because we just get, we get down easy. We, we, we lose heart easy. You know, I determined long ago that many Christians must have cracks and holes in them. I think we must leak. Because we get filled up and it just leaks out too quick. You can't get too much affirmation. Paul, as he speaks, as he speaks to, the, to God's people, he, uh, he says you need to build each other up. You need to pick each other up. You need to train one another so that the right thing becomes a natural impulse among you. That's his heart. And, and as guys, as we close this section out, the goal of a true leader, Paul's heart, is that the people of God will grow up and be mature. And quit being childish. But be mature in the faith. Look at these last couple of verses here. Um, Verse 11, he says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into His kingdom and glory. You know, we've talked about the picture of a mom. Here's a picture of a dad. He says it wants to, wants to deal with his kids. It wants them to grow up properly so that they can be mature, so they can be heads of a household, so they can be responsible, so that they can love others and not always have to be the one receiving, but willing to give. Nothing is more beautiful, nothing is more satisfying for a leader than for his work to come to a point where he's worked himself out of a job. Uh, I talked about that reunion I went to last weekend. Uh, 30 years, old youth choir. Uh, I got a kick out of it. Matter of fact, I got an email today from Walter Schaefer, who I mentioned, who's my friend that's a missionary in China. Showed me and this guy, I'm going to mention Brian Proctor. We were buddies too. He said, these two haven't changed hardly at all in 30 years. I said, yeah, Right. But anyway, Brian, um, he spoke to me. They've just come back from Korea. They've been over there whew, at least 20 years. I'm not even sure. And um, and I hope, Brian, I, I asked them. I want them to come. They're, they're in Brevard right now, not too far from my home, but I want them to come speak to us and share about their ministry in Korea, he and his wife, his daughter. But Brian shared to me, you know, I said, you know, about this idea of being expendable. You know, God, we want to be used by God, but He doesn't have to have us. And he goes, man, you're so right, Todd. He said, you know, he said, uh, we just left Korea. And he said, this young couple came in. They're so energetic. They're more gifted than we are. They got it together. And God's going to use them to take that ministry there a lot further than we were able to take it. And he said, and it just means a lot to me to know that as I leave, it's in good hands. If that ministry's in good hands, it's not going to fall apart. You know? Now that's the kind of heart God wants. You know, there's a lot of guys that would say, it, it can't survive without me. I started that baby. I got that baby going and that baby's mine. Man, there's a good Greek word for that, Bologna. And I appreciate Brian's heart. He said, I was just so excited that God's brought someone else to take over. Uh, a humble heart. And, and you know, he wants, he wants God's people to grow up. He wants all of us to be mature. You know, I mean, when a kid's real small, you know, we talked about that loving mom, and, and, and you know, it's exciting when they first say, Mom or Dad, Dad. 
Isn't that great? It wouldn't be so exciting if they came to the house and they were 22 years old carrying a baby bottle and said, Mama, Dada. It's like, you need to grow up, son. You're scary. Well, you know what? Spiritually, we need to get beyond that feed me, feed me, feed me mentality. And we need to learn to give of ourselves. We need to learn to live for Jesus and to serve Him and to step out in faith and to grow up. And, and in that sense, like I said, in that sense, at some point we're all leaders because as I gave that simple definition of leading, at the simplest point, leading just means I'm going to take the lead and be obedient to God. I want to close with a statement from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon wrote this, If there were only one prayer which I might pray before I died, it should be this, Lord, send thy church men filled with a Holy Ghost and with fire. Give to any denomination such men and its progress must be mighty. Keep back such men, Send them college gentlemen of great refinement and profound learning, but of little fire and grace, dumb dogs which cannot bark, and straightway that denomination must decline. Guys, a challenge and an urging to all of us. May we be more than refined. May we have a passion for our God. Let's pray. God, um, as we've looked at leaders, God, uh, those who are willing to take the lead, to serve, God, Your voice still speaks. And I just pray that all of us here today would hear and respond. What do You want to say, God? What do You want to do? Lord, I believe that there are some here who, for the first time, need to bow their hearts and say, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven. And um, I need to know that there's, there's life beyond what I'm living and that heaven is a sure thing and not something to only speculate about. Um, Father, I pray if anyone's here in that both, at this moment they would just stop and say, Jesus, forgive me, come live in my heart. Make me new. I receive Your work done at the cross and, and take Your finished work as my own hope. And Lord, I just pray that anyone that's prayed that prayer, that they would be able to clearly understand they're new, a new creation. The old is gone, the new's come. And um, God, I pray anyone that that has done that would come forward and share with the body of Christ this change. Uh, I pray others, Lord, that need to come to this altar and need to pray, that need to say, God, you've been telling me to take the lead and I've been arguing with you and it's time to stop. I need to grow up. I just pray, Lord, that, that you bring those people that you've called here to pray, the altar to do business with you, or to stand before your people today and, and to testify and say, God's got a hold of me. Things are going to be different with His leading. God, I just pray you have your way in us. Uh, maybe someone's here and then you're saying their heart, this needs to be the place where I'm a part, actively connected to Kingsway Baptist Church and this people for service. Um, God, however you're speaking to people, however you're calling, I know your voice goes out. I just ask that we say yes and respond. So God, speak to us. Have your way and may we come in obedience. Being leaders, taking the lead. In your name we pray. Amen.